there. So, you know, it's uh, it's not easy leaving Hawaii to come back to New York, but I, but I did miss all of you so much, and uh, it's been a joy, especially this morning, these worship times. And I I watched last week as God moved in worship last week. It was really really powerful. I'm so thankful for our team and our leaders and how well they just uh, continue. I'm not even necessary anymore. So. <laughs> It's really awesome. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But thank you to, to so many of you who uh, reached out. Our, it was a, a wonderful time, but it was also uh, uh, saying goodbye to Lisa's dad. Her, her dad passed away a couple months ago, and so we had uh, a time of memorial for him, which I didn't know I was doing the sermon, but uh, uh, got to share the gospel with family and friends, and it was really exciting time. So thank you for that. This morning we have kind of a bittersweet thing that we get to do. Uh, the Davis family has been a, a, a wonderful part of our church. Uh, Brian has been serving as an elder in our church. Their whole family is just beloved by all of us. And they are, have transitioned to a ministry to uh, West Africans in New York City. And uh, they are raising up a ministry, a church, different things like that. We want to support them. Uh, they have moved into the city, and um, we want to just give you the opportunity. One, we want to pray for them, and two, we'd like to support them financially. If you would like to designate any of your giving towards the Davis family, we as a church will make sure that gets to their mission. They are doing this under the Christian Missionary Alliance as a part of the Great Commission Fund, so it's part of our giving to the Great Commission Fund, so it's a, it's a wonderful way for us to do missions right here in our own backyard. And there is an amazing population of West Africans in the city, and it's going to be awesome to see what God does through Brian and Michelle and their whole family. But we wanted to say goodbye to them. It's their last Sunday with us forever. No, uh, uh, right, I'm kidding. Uh, but we wanted to say goodbye to them and pray and commission and bless them. So Davis family, if you'd come, if I could have some of our staff or... Uh, Elders to come forward as well. We want to surround them. Yeah, we got a few here. And the rest of you, would you mind standing and we'll just extend a hand of blessing? I want to pray over them. Lord, we are so thankful for this family, for their uh, leadership here in this church, for their ministry in Rockland County at Nyack and at APS. And now we do commission them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for this work among your, uh, your people who are gathered in New York City from West Africa with, with the background that uh, maybe they are uh, first-generation immigrants or even second-gen, whatever it might be. Lord, we want to see an effective church raised up, an effective ministry raised up, that not only will impact New York City, but would go back and impact Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire and, and Mali and, and uh, all, uh, Burkina Faso and all of these different countries of West Africa. Uh, Lord, you've given us this unique privilege of being in the city where the whole world comes. And we want to be effective. And Lord, we feel like we're sending one of our best families to go and to, to make that impact. Lord, uh, we who know them realize this isn't the trajectory they thought their life was going to be on, but you know the plans that you have for them. 
and you love not only Brian and Michelle, but each of their children, and you have good things for them. So we stand with them and declare protection in the name of Jesus. We, we declare a keen sense of your presence in their lives. We, we, we proclaim, Lord, revelation and direction that will lead them and guide them. Um, even as Paul went into strange cities, you would say to him, I have people there for you. And Lord, we ask even now that those people will arise and that Brian and Michelle and that the kids will sense that you have set before them a door that none can close. You spoke that over the church. I've set before you a door that none can close. Well, we stand as a, as a sending church for them, commissioning them for this work, that they'll have all the resources they need, that they'll have the people that they're, that they'll see the people they're called to minister to. They'll raise up leaders and that you will bless their lives, that they'll be blessed going in and coming out. In the name of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I want to ask you to do something with me. I just have sensed uh, the Lord speaking to us words of thanksgiving that we are to call forth in thanksgiving. Would you just raise your hands up like this? Would you mind? Would you close your eyes with me? I want you to understand something. Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. Thanksgiving calls for things that are not now as if they are now. Because our God, his promises, as we sang, are yes and amen. And we could be a complaining people. and We can be a murmuring people. And we can tell everybody how short we are. Or we can be a people who believe the promises of God, that he will supply all of our needs, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so with your hands outraised, upraised, would you, even if, if you have great needs today, Scripture still says, make your petitions with thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you will do. We thank you that you are the God who, who knows even before we ask. And you're preparing and providing even when we think there's nothing for us. Lord, I ask even as we give our hearts to thanksgiving and to being thankful, that faith will arise. And that faith will become that so strong in us that we reach out into the future and bring into the present the promises and the provision of God. And that we do it in such a way that brings you glory. Lord, you have not called us to be an impoverished people. You have not called us to be just the poor. You have called us to be rich in spirit. You've called us to, be, to prosper as our soul prospers. You've said if we're hungry, you will fill us. If we're thirsty, you will satisfy us. So, Lord, we come hungry and thirsty, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you bring your offerings as an act of worship to the Lord? We have baskets on the left and on the right. We're going to sing our offering in. Will you bring it now in Jesus' name?
right. Well, we've had a lot of fun preaching, uh, filling in for Pastor Mike, but how many people are thankful that Mike's back this morning? Let's welcome him back up. We want to start a series um, for the summer about uh, the book of uh, Joshua, and the reason that I have for this is I really believe God is on the move. I believe God is up to something. I think the world is stirred up because God is on the move. I think the enemy is stirred up because God is on the move. And the question that comes is, you know, in terms of your life, God gave us the book of Joshua so you would know how you can be a Joshua. And the promises that we're about to read, they're not just for him. They're for you. But you have to, you have to make a transition. You have to make a switch. Now, you can spend the rest of your life screwing up and asking God to cover. Or you can ask him, you know, to rescue you, and you can do all those things. And, and, and he is so merciful, he will do it. And he is so good, he will do it. He will, he will own your mistakes. But wouldn't it be nice if for a while you didn't just make mistakes? If you didn't have just bad decisions, but you began to actually move towards a promised land. You began to move toward commanded blessings. You began to move towards a desired future. If instead of asking question, what's my purpose, you actually live in your purpose. Instead of why am I here, you actually know why you're here. Well, that's what the book of Joshua is about. That's what the picture of the promised land is about. And it does not matter how old you are. As a matter of fact, when you're reading through this, I want you to realize something. Joshua is 80 years old. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter your age. You could be 18 or 89. It doesn't matter. As long as you have breath, there's land to conquer. There's obstacles to overcome. So let's read this word together. This is Joshua 1, 1 through 9. I like it when you read out loud no matter what Gabe does. <laughs> I have to get a few shots. I heard on live stream a few shots. I should have had my background music be Eminem today. today. <laughs> I, I had no idea what that song was. I had to be told, so <laughs> I am old. All right, let's read together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, 
being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, this book follows on the first five books of the scripture, the Pentateuch, the the law of God, and then you have the book of Joshua. Interestingly enough, though this book contains a great deal of history, it is not categorized as a historical book of the Old Testament. It's actually categorized as a prophetic book. Now, this is important that you understand this. Prophecy is not merely telling the future. Prophecy isn't just a foretelling, but is actually also and primarily a forthtelling. And what this means is that the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to speak into your life, into the life of every generation, every church, wants to speak in and clarify your experiences, wants to make known to you the very secrets of your own heart wants to give you a vision of the future that he has for you. He, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of prophecy. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a prophetic spirit. And he doesn't just want to alert you to the future. He wants to explain to you your past and then show you how to make your present a success, a prosperous time. And so the book of Joshua is a book of clarification. It's a book of understanding. And as we look at this, we see these promises that are here. I'll make you prosperous. I'll give you success. I'll, I'll, I'll give you what you need to fulfill the commission and the assignment that I have for you. Now, before we look at what you need to go into your promised land, I want, I want you to understand one very important but somewhat simple concept. You, as a believer, have authority. You do not necessarily have the scope of authority that Joshua had. Joshua's scope was he was to lead all of the people. And he was to lead them across the Jordan River and into the land that God had promised to their fathers. But in your assignment, you have just as much authority as Joshua had. You may not have as big a scope. You may, you, your sphere of influence or the, the realm of your assignment may not be as big as Joshua. But whatever God has assigned to you, he has given you the same authority and promises that he gave to Joshua. Yes, At some point, you have to begin to realize the failure is not on God's part. 
but an unwillingness on your part to take authority where he's given you authority. You will not be carried into the promised land. You'll have to walk into it. So in order to do that, you need three things. Because I grew up Presbyterian, there's always three things. Okay? There's three things. There's three things Joshua had that you can have. And three things that God has been working in your life to for you to carry into the promised land, to get you to that place where it's really what you were destined for. The one is this. You have to have the promise of God. You have to recognize, understand, and not fight the preparation that God's been doing to get you to your promised land. And then in order for you to get to that promised land, you have to learn to perform according to his precepts, principles, and commandments. He makes this really plain. So let's look at, let's look at the promise piece of it. See, before you ever start understanding your assignment or even the vision that God has for you. You need to know his promises. And the, the scriptures are filled with general promises that apply. So, for example, Joshua understood that Exodus 6 had given a promise to the people of God. It was a general promise to the people. God said to his people, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. This was the general promise that, that Joshua was, was operating under. I, I want you to understand this principle. It is only the promise of God that gives you permission to dream. You do not get to bring your dreams to God and get him to be on your side. You can't just Google a promise that might fit with your circumstance. You have to start with the fact that your God has been speaking and preparing promises for you that have to do with you since the beginning. The other thing is this, is, is, is the fact that many of us, our dreams are not coming from God's will or his promises or his, his future that he desires for us. Our dreams are coming from Disney. It's coming from movies we watch, TV series, the promises of Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> or maybe Amazon Prime. I don't know. <laughs> you understand, those are not God's promises for you. Those do give you framework. They give you a sense of looking at reality, but they are not from God's perspective. There is no one else who knows your end from your beginning. The, the 1 Corinthians 13 is a powerful chapter on love, but it's an equally powerful chapter on heaven. And the way it describes heaven is this. It says, heaven is the perfect place. It is the complete place. It is the thing that you've been longing for, but it also says this, Right now, you only know in part. But when the perfect heaven comes, then you are known, you are knowing yourself as you are fully known. See, you're living in a time and in a period of your life 
where everything you know, even about yourself, is only partial. But there is one who even now dwells in heaven who knows you fully. This is, for me, this is one of the most beautiful things. He knows you all the way to the bottom, but he loves you all the way to the top. There is no secret that you have from him. There is nothing that you can do to shock God or even to disappoint God. But at the same time, you are disappointing yourself because you are trying to get God on your agenda when you have partial knowledge. Come on, that's pretty good right there. Are you tracking with me on this? So what this, what this idea that Joshua gives to us and what the word gives to us is that you start with the promise of God and then God will make it plain, even more specific, even more beautiful when, than just the general promise. He'll start to make specific promises. Notice what he says to Joshua. He says to him, every place you set your feet, I will give to you. See, where did the promise start? I'm going to give back the land that belonged to your fathers. But then he speaks because Joshua gets in alignment with the plan. Joshua is receptive to God's plan. Joshua is right there with the promise of God. See, many of us, our problem is we're trying to get God to adjust to our plan. Instead, God says, you have to adjust to my plan. See, the crisis of belief that you and I have is not that God is a disappointing God or that God doesn't do what he promised. It's that you don't want to adjust to what he's doing. And what Joshua had to do was adjust to God. And as he made that adjustment, God started unveiling and unpacking for him. I'm going to be with you, Joshua, like I was with Moses. Everywhere you set your foot is going to belong to you. No one, he says, will be able to stand before you. I mean, that's awesome in terms of promise. Think about why this is so important. This is one of the major transitions of power that's ever taken place. Nothing. I mean, can you imagine following Moses? I mean, Moses, the greatest leader of all time, and you get to be after him. And then you're taking up the task that Moses himself could not complete. <laughs> One of the most uh, incredible experiences I ever had, I was in Jordan, in the area where, where uh, Moses was given his vision of the promised land. I actually got to go up on Mount Nebo, where we believe that's the last place Moses was seen before he was taken into heaven. And so I'm up on Mount Nebo, and I'm looking. I'm standing where Moses stood. And it's it's an awesome pinnacle place because from there you can see Jericho. You can see Bethlehem. You can see Jerusalem. You can see the Dead Sea. So when Moses was up there, he could see all of that, but he could not enter in. And now God says, Joshua, you're going to complete what Moses could not complete. Not only that, but he says this to Joshua. You're going to have to take all these people. That's a leadership challenge beyond. I mean, think about it. 
God is not saying, Joshua, you and the ones I like are going to go in. Or, Joshua, you and the ones who like me are going to go in. He says to Joshua, you and all these people. So the task wasn't just to get himself across the river. It was to get the entire, the entire nation across the river. <laughs> wow. You understand what that reveals of the heart of God? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. God does not delight in anyone being left behind. And he told to Joshua, you're going to take them all. The ones you like, the ones you don't like, the ones who like you and don't like you, you're going to take them all. They're all going to have to cross the river with you. Powerful task, right? So God gives him this very specific promise. I will be with you as I was with Moses. Let me... Let me just push this a little bit more. You know, when you give information to somebody and they don't handle that information well, do you give them any more information? <laughs> I mean, only people who are stupid tell a secret to somebody who can't handle a secret. You see, God only shares his secrets with those who are already predisposed to say yes. And so he already knew that Joshua was one who trusted him, one who was predisposed to say, this is an overwhelming task, but I will do it. And the reason was this. He had been preparing Joshua all along for this, this mission, for this ministry. Now, the end of this story is so beautiful because when Joshua, who's been through trial after trial as a leader, trying to accomplish the very task that God has given to him, Joshua has this to say about God. He has been faithful to keep all his promises. Joshua doesn't say, I'm a great leader. Joshua says, he has been faithful to keep all his promises. Well, let me, let me just touch on your prayer life for a minute. You see, if you understand what I'm explaining to you today, you'll realize that your prayer life can be changed forever. See, most of us, when we pray, we go, oh, God, please, I need this. Or we pray, oh, God, I want this. Could you just do this one thing for me? You know, I'll, I'll never ask for anything else if you'll just do this. What a puny, impotent prayer. It's not even prayer. It's a bargain. Here's what Joshua teaches us. It teaches us that you go to God, you go to his word, you look to his heart for his promises. Now, think about this. I'm a, I'm a dad. I had, I had two kids. They're grown now. But I remember when they were little, and they come up and go, oh, dad, I want this. And you're like, well, we don't really have the money for that. Oh, but I need it. I was unmoved by that. It's like, this is a learning opportunity, you know? You can learn. You don't need that. You don't need that. I can never, ever resist this one. But, Dad, you promised. Dad, you promised. Because now it's a question of character. Now it's a question of integrity. See, when all you ever do is go to God, oh, God, I need this. He goes, no, you don't. 
Oh, but I want it. Yeah, but it's going to kill you. <laughs> but when you go to him and you know his word and you know his heart, because, see, promises don't necessarily change the circumstances you're going to face. But they're the things that take you through the circumstances. They're the things that get you over the river. They're the things that get you over the mountain and through the valleys. Because all along the way, you don't have to say, oh, God, I need. You don't have to say, oh, God, I want. All along the way, you say, Father, you promised. You promised you would never leave me. You promised you would never forsake me. You promised that every place I set my foot would be mine. You promised that no one would be able to stand against me. You promised that you would be with me just like you were with Moses. See, when you pray like that, everything changes. Because now you're not just wishful thinking. Now you're not just Disney fantasy. Now you are actually in the heart of God, touching his character. And here is what Joshua found. He's always faithful. <laughs> now, think about this. You know Joshua's about to face hard times because why would God say over and over again, don't be afraid? <laughs> you know that he's going to get discouraged because why would God say, don't be dismayed? So some of us were like, I got a promise. It's all going to go great. No, you got a promise because it's not going to go great. And because you're going to have to hold on to the promise in the midst of it not going so great. Well, if you look back at your life, and this is where the prophetic has to come in, is only God can really give you the interpretation of your past. And only God can take what you thought was broken and destroyed and redeem it and make it something beautiful. And here is what we see with Joshua, is his preparation was for the fulfillment of the promise. Number one is Joshua decided that he would attach his life to Moses' life. He decided that, that this is how he would, he would live. He would live with a man who was utterly devoted to God because he wanted to be utterly devoted to God. His life was attached to Moses' life. He became Moses' assistant. It's funny sometimes in, in position both as pastor and as a professor, I'll have people come up and say, I, I, I want you to mentor me. And, and, and what they mean is they want, they want me to give them everything I have and chase them and, and pursue them and do all like that. And I won't do it. I won't do it. Because I really don't believe I can mentor anyone who doesn't come and bring some value to me. If, they, if they're not willing to work, to serve, if they're not willing to in some way take something off my plate, I have nothing to give to them. <laughs> I've had people come, a, a resume one time came and said, I'm the, greatest, I'm the greatest young preacher ever. I'm the greatest discipler. I'm the greatest teacher. I was like, I should be mentored by you then. <laughs> I've had people come. And they go, I want to work with you. And I say, okay, what do you want? I want to, I want to preach, and I want, to, I want to lead the people. And I, want to, I said, I'm already doing that. And they, they say, well, what do you want me to do? I said, clean the bathroom. They're like, I don't want to do that. Okay. Don't, or move chairs. 
Move chairs. You know, if you can't be anointed cleaning the bathroom and moving chairs, you probably can't be anointed preaching. Because you're not serving the people, you're serving yourself. But there's some sense in which if, if all you ever do is you're doing things so people will approve of you and people will give you attention and all that, then you're kind of just a prostitute. And you're not really, you're not really serving. You're not really loving. You're looking to be loved. And in a sense, that's predatory. See, what, what Joshua did is he just served. He just said, I don't know what my life is totally going to be, but I like this guy's life. I like what God's doing with him. And he said, I want what he has. Am I making sense to you on this? Or did I get a little too transparent there? No, not me, right? So he says, he became his assistant. Now listen, this is what, it, this is what happened because of that. Joshua was at the burning bush. He got to hear and see the presence of the Lord where a bush was on fire, but the bush was not consumed. He got to be there when Moses was told, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. He got to be there as Moses spent time on Mount Sinai, and God spoke to Moses. And then the scripture says that when the tabernacle began to be filled with the glory of God's presence so that you saw the cloud that was ministering to Moses, and Moses was speaking to God as a man speaks to a man like no one had ever done before, guess who was in the tabernacle with Moses? Right there on his face was Joshua. And Joshua was so moved by the presence of God and so familiar with the presence of God that when Moses would lead to go lead the people, Joshua stayed in the tent with the cloud. Moses was never in the presence of God that Joshua wasn't in the presence of God with him. Are you... I, I, I mean, I don't know if I can make this plainer. You cannot have an unintentional life and reach the promised land. You can't just go in whatever direction. You can't just live to pay your mortgage or your rent or to have fine clothes or have a nice car or whatever else. You have to begin to realize that your life has a deeper, greater purpose than just the superficial, temporary things. What Moses was about was eternal. What Joshua was about was what Moses was about. And he learned it. And he experienced it. And he encountered it. And it became his own. Because nobody told Joshua, you stay in the tent while I go work. Joshua didn't want to leave. It changed him. Not only that, but then he was given task. In Exodus chapter 17... The Amalekites decided they would fight against the people of Israel. Now, this is one of the things you have to realize. Joshua, nowhere in the scripture does it say he was a military man. And the people that he's leading, none of them were ever military people either. As a matter of fact, they used to make bricks, if you remember. That doesn't necessarily you know, prepare you to fight a battle. So Moses says to Joshua, go be my general. I really believe this speaks to where we are as a church that we don't often understand. We sometimes go, okay, what's my gifting? What do I like to do? Oh, I don't really like kids that much. I'm not going to be a teacher. You know, 
I don't, I'm not very friendly, so I shouldn't be a greeter. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff. And we're sitting there excluding ourselves from all kinds of things. Here's the crazy thing. If God assigns you something, he gives you his Holy Spirit. Every single gift is, is the Spirit himself manifesting in you through you. Do you know every single one of you has a gift of prophecy to some extent because you have the spirit of prophecy? Every single one of you. Somebody goes, I don't have the gift of faith. I just want to slap them in Jesus' name. <laughs> no, you don't exercise the gift you have. Because if you, if you step up in faith, you'll get more. I, I understand. Some people are predisposed to be more optimistic than others. But optimism is not the same as faith. Sometimes it's just a pain in the neck. Because people, they're not really dealing with reality. But see, Joshua was given an assignment. He became a great general because he chose to take up his assignment. But it, it also says, it's so interesting, is they couldn't win without the Holy Spirit because Moses had to lift up his arms. So when Moses lifted up his arms, the spirit moved and the battle turned towards the people of Israel. But when his arms went down, the battle waned and they began to lose. And so they came up with a great idea. Prop up his arms. <laughs> so Aaron did on one side, her on the other, and Moses, and they won the battle. See, he didn't know he was a general. He didn't know he was a military man. All he knew was he was Moses' assistant. Moses said, go lead the people. And this is long before God says, now you're going to take the land. It's preparation. I don't think you understand, but all your life has been preparation for entering the promised land. And what God can do with your past is not only clarify it and make you understand it, but he can also redeem it. So your latter days are greater than your former. If you have breath in you. I mean, isn't this an amazing thing? See, this, this transition took place when Moses died. When Moses died, it was the signal that the whole generation of unbelief had died. Because God had said, you will not enter into my rest. So what's happened now is all of them have died. There's only two left from that generation. Their names are Caleb and Joshua. Caleb's 85, Joshua's 80. And both of them say this, they're as young as when they were 40. <laughs> Caleb said, I'm going to take that hill. And he took his hill. Okay? Some of you in this room, you said, oh, I'm so old. And you're only 20. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let me put these two together for you. Promise and preparation. When uh, I found out a little over a year ago, found out my a whole side of my arteries were blocked of my heart, and my other side was getting blocked. They tried everything they could to put stents in and just try to relieve the blockage, but then they said, nothing's going to work, so we have to do bypass surgery. And, and I, you know, I realized that I was, I was in a pretty bad place. I was, in, I was possibly going to die. I, I mean, whatever was going to happen. So I, I was sitting in a Columbia Hospital, I was looking at the George Washington Bridge out my window, and I just made this simple request. Lord, lead me to a promise about this procedure. 
And he took me to Psalm 103. And he took me specifically to Psalm 103, verse 5. Now, I want you to understand something. Psalm 103, verse 5 is for all of us. It says, the Lord who satisfies you with good things, and so that, it says, your youth is renewed as the eagles. See, it doesn't matter how old you are if you have the promise. And so I began to pray that promise. I said, Lord, this is, you've given this to me. And as I prayed that general promise, which is for all of you, he began to speak to me about renewal. And about restoring my strength and restoring my energy. Well, for over a year after the surgery, I have not had a lot of energy and I have not had a lot of strength. But I kept saying to him, Lord, you promised. I didn't say, Lord, do this. I didn't say, Lord, I need this. I just said, Lord, you promised. And I would remind him of Psalm 103, verse 5, and how he began to apply that very personally and specifically to me. Some things happened in the last six weeks where he has restored my energy, where I feel 20 years younger. I don't look 20 years younger, but I feel it. And I don't care, you know, that part doesn't matter, but to feel it again, okay? Again, I believe this is his healing work in my life. He used means, but I stayed with that simple thing. I didn't go, oh, God, I need this, oh God, please, I want this. I just kept saying, you promised. You see, he prepares you. He doesn't waste your sorrows, but he longs for you to take hold of his promise. Now, there are people who say to me all the time, they go, oh, I trust God. But you look at them and they're anxious they're worried. They're trying to control their children, their husband, their wife, their job. Every, they're trying to control everything. They can't stand anything that has ambiguity to it. Insecurities come forth. You cannot say, I trust God, when all the evidence manifests lack of trust. And in some ways, truthfully, friends, trust really is defined by what you consider to be ultimate. If you consider anything that is temporary, ultimate, you will not be able to trust God because he's actually a rival. For example, if my idolatry is about my family, then, then, and God is saying, I want you to love me above your family, then in ways I'm going, no, God, I love them above you. You're in my life, but they're my life. And so when you pray, and you pray in terms of idolatry, and you pray in terms of anxiety and all of that, you're actually asking God to resource your idolatry. You're asking him to give you his rival. See, he can only be ultimate. He actually is himself your promised land. Because once he's ultimate, then... Nothing will he exclude from you. Prosperity, career, family, whatever it is, but it all has to be in proportion. August, uh, St. Augustine said it this way, sin is basically disordered love. You love something out of its place. So what God says to Joshua 
Yeah, quit on me. I know what it says, but there you go. Well, Josh, what he says to Joshua, he says, what you do, what you choose, how you perform matters. And he says to them this. He says, don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let fear become the motivation for what you do. He says, instead, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if we're honest, there's not a one of us in this room that 100% trust God. None of us. God can make known to us through a circumstance immediately where we trust and where we don't trust. He can give you something that suddenly you're like, and you lose it because now you don't have control because now it's not going the way you want it to go. And, And here's the thing. Because he loves you, he reveals the places where you don't trust him. Every act of disobedience on your part, every place where you say, I know what the word of God says, but I'm going to do what I want to do, is you're basically saying, I know what's best for me. I know better than God. And when you say that, you're basically saying this, I can't trust you in this area. Now, instead of getting angry with you or being disappointed in you, because he already knew that was a place, he committed to you knowing you didn't trust him. So what he does is he exposes those places not to embarrass you, not to humiliate you, but he exposes them because the only way to heal it is to bring it into the light. Are you tracking with me? See, what you have to realize is that performing for God does not make you accepted by God. Performing doesn't make you loved or worthy of love. You actually... What he's trying to do is to reverse things to where you're actually doing what you do because you love him. And you see, when you do what you do because you love someone, you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to. Every wife in here understands that when the husband goes, okay, I'll do it. And they realize they're just doing it to get out of trouble. Or they're just doing it to not get yelled at. But they realize they don't really want to do it. Or every one of you, when you make your kids clean their rooms or make their beds or whatever it is, and they do it, but they do it on threat of punishment. Or they do it because they want something from you. But they're not doing it because you've taught them that this is a way to express actual cleanliness, which is next to godliness. You know, and... uh, You understand what I'm saying? Every single one of us, we know we can be extrinsically motivated. You make something dangerous enough or punishable or whatever, and we'll do it, but our hearts are unchanged. God is not interested in unchanged hearts that exhibit counterfeit behavior. What he's looking for is our people who have been so transformed by his love that they begin to say, I don't want to turn from the right or the left. I want to go right down the center as an expression of who I am. Are you hearing me? So then, here's the case. When you are living obediently, when you're truly, not just behavior conforming, but truly obedient to God, you're listening to his voice, you're responding to his word. When you're doing that, then you are actually expressing the truest version of your identity. 
And when you're not doing so, you're expressing an old identity that is connected to things that don't work, to things that are passing away. In some ways, you have to get to the place where you say, living apart from the Spirit of God is disastrous for me. And that to live apart from the Spirit is to live a life that just doesn't work for me. This is why a lot of us, we go through trial and error, we do stupid things, we make bad choices, we do all kinds of things, because we're so hard-headed, nobody else can tell us but our lives that it doesn't work. And yet God says at the beginning here, if you want to get into the promised land, if you want to experience the truest version of yourself, it has to be that you begin to do it because you know you're loved. And because you trust that if he says, don't do this or do that, he's saying it because he knows you. Because he knows your heart. And here's the thing. Fake behavior never fakes out God. Right? So as Luther used to say it this way, he said, sin boldly. You know why he said that? Because once you do it, you go, that didn't work. That didn't help. Can you hear me today? Those three things. Will you stand with me? There are promises. Would you just close your eyes with me? There are promises throughout the scripture that your father has laid up for you. not only that, if you're predisposed towards his general revealed promises, he will make them specific for you. There's not a single part of your past that isn't preparation for the future he has for you. Our God is a redeemer. He can take what the locusts have eaten and he can restore it. He can take what's been stolen from you and he can give you back sevenfold. He can make what you think is the ugliest thing of your life into the most beautiful, strongest thing in your life. He gives beauty for ashes, a garland of praise for mourning, joy comes in the morning kind of thing. He's the reverser of curses. But you need, I mean, if you're listening to me, that you need the spirit of prophecy even to understand your own life. Because you only know in part. You only know the partial. The complete, the perfect is known by God. And then the other thing is, I, I probably haven't stressed it enough today, but, but I push you in this. You can walk your way. God will do before you all the things that only God can do. But he will always ask you to do the things that he wants you to do. He wants you to take steps. And then every place you put your foot becomes yours. He wants you to move knowing he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He wants you to go forth and believe that he satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Would you say this with me just... I mean, beginning to open our hearts to the Lord together. Will you say these words? Lord, I receive, Lord, I receive your, promises your promises for my life. For my life. I, open I open myself to the, spe- 
the general promises so that you can give me very specific promises about my present and my future. I choose to walk, to perform, to act because you love me and I trust you. I know that for some of you, as I, I, those are words I'm giving you. I know that. I want to tell you something. If you believe those words, those are deliverance prayers. Because uh, in the end, you know what it is? The battle belongs to the Lord. So if you just walk forward where he's telling you walk, you'll walk into commanded blessing. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Even in the worst days of Israel, uh, God said to him, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Lord, we seal what you're doing today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Good to see you, bro. Good. Look forward to getting baptized on the 13th. All right. That's awesome.